Well, turn, if you will, this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel, of course, is a chapter of the Bible that we often look to at the time of a baby dedication. You'll remember that it was Hannah that went before the Lord. She went to the temple every year with her husband. The problem that Hannah had was that her husband had two wives. I don't hear any groaning, but I thought that that would bring a a little bit of a groan. That is a dangerous, dangerous situation. He had a wife by the name of Penina, and she had a lot of children. She was able to have children, but, but Hannah was not. The problem was is that her husband, Elkadah, Hannah was his favorite wife. Isn't that sad that they would know that? Hannah was his favorite, but it was Penina that bore him children. And so Hannah went before the Lord every year to the temple, and she poured out her heart to God. The Bible said she was a woman of a sorrowful spirit. She prayed and she wept so hard that the prophet Eli thought that she was drunken, but she was not. She said, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. And she was pouring out her heart to God, wanting a child. But the purpose she wanted a child for was that she might have a child to dedicate unto the Lord. To give him back to God, that God may use him all the days of his life. And Eli said, may God grant you your request. And that's exactly what happened. God gave Hannah a little boy named Samuel. And when Samuel was weaned, the Bible says she took him to the temple and gave him over to the Lord. What an act of sacrifice. Because of that, God blessed her. And the Bible says he opened her womb and she had many more children to follow. But it was because of that act of sacrifice and giving her child to the Lord that God blessed her home beyond all measure. You know, it's always a blessing when a family desires to dedicate a child to the Lord and they come with the understanding that this dedication itself is actually symbolic. For Hannah to receive that child was not so much about giving Samuel to the Lord. Hannah had to give herself. She had to give herself to that vow, that commitment. She could not just make some idle vow to the Lord and say, no, I'm going to keep my child. I suppose the Lord could have come along and said, I want you to keep Samuel till he's 18 or he's 21 or he's 30 or whatever. But he did not. He received that gift. But Hannah had to dedicate herself. And that's what we do as parents. We give our children to the Lord, but it's the understanding that it is us that has to break those ties. It is us that have to trust the Lord enough to, to know that he knows what's best for them. It is us that makes a sacrifice and gives those children over to the Lord and commit ourselves as parents before the Lord and our local church today in raising the child as God would lead us according to his word. As we read this morning in 1 Samuel, we'll come to the passage of Scripture in chapter 3, where Samuel has now been dedicated to the Lord, and he's growing a little bit older. The Bible doesn't say how old, but he's old enough to talk. The Bible says that he had been weaned when he was first taken there. I don't know how old he is, but a lot of children that are weaned from their mother are not yet talking in sentences, but this boy seemed to have understanding. He understood his job as he laid there in the temple. He'd run back and forth to Eli this night and speak to him about the voice that he was hearing. So it seems like maybe he was eight, nine, ten years old. I don't know. But just picture a, a boy with some understanding and some spiritual aptitude 
And read with me in chapter 3 and verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. By the way, the word of the Lord ought to always be precious. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou, hast call, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not net, let me read that verse again, verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he call thee that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever, and for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors in the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God, do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me, of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every wit, and hid nothing from him, and he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him, what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Let's pray. Father, help us today, we pray. We pray, Lord, that you might speak to our hearts, and Lord, move in our midst today. Lord, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior. I pray they'd come to know him today. Lord, the scripture is very plain about a little boy who didn't know God. So it's such a strange verse in the midst of a religious community, living in the temple, and yet he did not yet know the Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to come to that knowledge of Christ. If there's anyone here that doesn't know him personally, may your grace save them today by faith. Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit. Speak to us and minister in our midst. Lord, I pray that you would remove all human effort. And may you alone have sway in our lives. 
We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to go back to chapters 1 and 2, we would find that the scripture gives us some insight into Samuel's training. I believe that as a child, he was trained to sacrifice. The very act of Hannah taking him to the temple, he understood that he had to sacrifice something. He sacrificed having a mom and dad at home. That he was given to serve the Lord and he would be raised in a temple by Eli and perhaps some other priests that were there serving. So he understood what sacrifice was all about. He was trained to serve. Chapter 3 and verse 1, notice what it says in the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord. Ministered unto the Lord. A couple years ago, I remember having, or maybe not a couple years ago, a year ago or so, when we first started choir back up and things were still sparse as far as our congregation. And maybe kind of like today, we have a lot of empty chairs, people are on vacation and such. And, and I, I remember the choir getting up and very few people in the auditorium. We had another outbreak of COVID come through and, and we were very sparse and people were just being careful and that was fine. And the choir got up and they're they all standing there and I could kind of see on their faces, oh, we worked and we worked and we worked and there's not a lot of people here. And I got up and I just wanted to encourage them and I said this, listen, you're not singing for any of those people, you're singing for one. Samuel learned at a young age that true Christian service is ministering unto the Lord. Ministering. Now, we help people, we love people, and we encourage people, and we minister unto people, but in by so doing, we are ministering unto the Lord. We often get burnt out because we try to help somebody, and we get sick and tired of their response to us, and their pushback, and we never see a change, and, and we just kind of get burnt out because we get tired of people. But you'll never get tired if you minister unto the Lord. If you understand, it's about obedience. I was talking to Brother Roberts a couple years ago, and uh, Jeff Roberts, and, and, and uh, I, I, we were just talking about ministry and church and different things, and, and I said, do you ever get discouraged? I get discouraged. Everybody gets discouraged. Do you ever get discouraged? And he says, you know, not too much. And here's what he said. He says, I put a lot of stock in simply obeying the Lord. So I don't get caught up in the numbers and I don't get caught up in all these things. I just want to obey the Lord. I thought, what a great answer. What a great answer. You see, when we minister unto the Lord, he refreshes our heart and our spirit. He was trained how to serve properly. He was trained to sacrifice. I believe he was trained to be sensitive. Notice what it says in verse 8 of chapter 3. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, here's where the training comes in, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Have you ever said that in a prayer? Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. You ever come to church and sat in the pew before service? And we had, we had a visitor come last week. Somebody came from the first time. And, and I, I was impressed because they sat in the service and, and they opened their Bible before church. And they were reading their Bible and they were preparing their heart to receive something from God. And it was almost like they were saying, maybe without words, speak, Lord. Thy servant heareth. We need to train ourselves to be sensitive to the word of God. We need to train ourselves to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And as he spoke to Samuel, no doubt he will at times speak to your heart as well. 
And though Samuel received a good training, there's a compelling story unfolding before us how God will even use a child for his glory. But I want you to notice there's also something quite sad about this story. Look at verse 7 with me. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. What a sad, sad thing. I dare say the condition that Samuel was in was similar to what a lot of us find ourselves in. We know a lot about God, but we don't know the Lord. You see, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. What that means is that God at those days was not uh, uh, conversing with his prophets as much as he had in the past. There wasn't a revelation coming from God and the prophets weren't standing and saying, thus saith the Lord. And perhaps because Eli had allowed his sons in the house of God as priests and they not restrained them and there was sin in the house of God and so God had restrained himself in some way. And he was waiting for this child, Samuel, to be old enough to receive the message of God that he might proclaim judgment upon the house of Eli. I don't know the reason. But I know this, the word of the Lord was precious because they didn't hear from God very much in those days. There was a problem. Something had stopped the mouth of God or it stopped the ears of the hearers. I'm not sure which. But the saddest part of this story is that Samuel, though he knew a lot about God, did not yet know him personally. There's no doubt some things that Samuel did know and should know. He would have known tradition. Being raised in a Jewish home, he would have understood the traditions of the Jewish people, no doubt. He would have understood their customs and, and how they did certain things. That would have been passed on into his life. It was very, very important that that would be passed on to a boy. So he would have learned a lot about tradition. He would have learned a lot about religion. He would have understood the, the feasts and the festivals and the things about the Jewish priesthood, especially being raised in, the, raised in the temple. He would have seen all of those things firsthand as they would have come and made sacrifice unto their God. I'm sure, no doubt in my mind, that Eli would have explained what each of those feasts meant. As every other young boy, he would have had to learn the Pentateuch and memorize parts of the Bible and understand what it meant. He would have had to know the law of God. He would have known religion. I believe he would have known morals, the application of the word. There's no indication in the Bible that he wasn't a good boy. It seems like he'd been trained well and he understood things. He was subject to Eli and went to him for spiritual advice. When he heard the voice of what he thought was Eli, he ran to his side and wanted to be a help. But there's no doubt in my mind that the New Testament applies here that God does not use dirty vessels. So Samuel must have been clean for God to speak to him that night. I believe there was some morality about him. He would have been trained in morals, the application of the word. He would have known the history of the Jews and God's dealing with them. A lot of these festivals, of course, and these feasts marked the miracles of God. We know that Passover was because of the last plague on, the, uh, on Egypt, the night that they were led out of Egypt, Egyptian bondage. And Passover commemorated those things, and so uh, he would have known the history of the Jews and God's dealing personally with them. He would have known a lot about God. 
He would have known about his power, his character, his, his choosing and protection of Israel and all the things that God did. He would have learned about all those things. But here's the sad thing. He knew a lot about tradition and morals and religion and knew a lot about God, but he did not know him personally. The Bible says he didn't know him. He didn't know the voice of God. You know, the world today is full of buildings just like this and full of a religious people following after tradition and learning a lot about God, but they don't know him personally. So sad. Listen, friend, I want you to know today that you can know God personally. And not only that, he wants to know you. What a wonderful promise of scripture that we find that God reached down to this little boy Samuel. And I don't know if it was a failure by Eli or a failure by some other religious leader. Maybe a priest was assigned to teach him and raise him and help him in his understanding. But somehow along the way, nobody ever said, here's a lot of knowledge about God, but I want you to know you can know him personally. That you can have a relationship with God. That God is going to one day send his Messiah and he will make all things right and he will rule and reign and all the beliefs they had about the coming Messiah, I'm sure he knew about it. But nobody ever taught him he could have a personal relationship with God. I want you to turn this morning to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we see a New Testament application. By the way, when we get to John chapter 10, we will find the Messiah has come. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is here. And notice what he says as we look at this passage together this morning. And I won't keep you long, but I just want to impress upon your heart today that if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can know him today. And through him, you can be reconciled to God the Father. We sang a lot today about our salvation. We sang that that through Jesus Christ, the blood was shed for the remission of our sins. That the price has been paid in full. You see, there, there was a penalty for our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's who we want to talk about this morning. Look, if you will, at John chapter 10 and verse 1 with me this morning. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him that porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, He goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Notice in verse 3, the Bible says, The shepherd calls the sheep by name. The Bible says in verse 5, When the shepherd leads the sheep out, they follow him because they know him. They know his voice. And so there's a relationship that takes place between the shepherd and the sheep. And I'm going to acknowledge this morning that as the Lord Jesus Christ is saying these very words, it is a parable. 
He's telling us a story with a deep moral application or a truth that will help us today. And he tells it in the form of a story. Now, look at verse 5. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. But read on. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not. He said, hey, pastor, I'm in that crowd right there. He's telling this story about shepherd and sheep, but what's that got to do with me? Look what he says in verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he's taking this spiritual story, this, this parable, and he's making the application. He's helping us to understand. Verse 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Can, can I translate that for you? You can't go to heaven any other way. There's a lot of thieves and robbers over the years who tried to bust their way into heaven. They've tried to teach that this is the way and this is the moral high ground and here are our beliefs and here's our system of religion and here's how we work our way unto God. But Jesus Christ said, I am the door. No man enters in unless you come by me. He said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and life and no man comes to the Father but by me. We must come through Jesus Christ and Jesus is reinforcing that thought in our minds today. Verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, what he's, doing? he's building a kingdom for himself. Why does he steal from you? To build his own kingdom. Why is he trying to destroy you? Because he doesn't care for you. He's not trying to get you to heaven. He's trying to build his own religion. Read on. Verse uh, 12, but he, uh, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, listen, giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And know my sheep, and am known of mine. You know, that sounds like a relationship. You can know the good shepherd, and the good shepherd can know you. Verse 14, or verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. I want to just give you three thoughts this morning. Number one, God desires to know you. I thought that would get more excitement than just Paul saying a quiet Amen. I'm going to tell you the mystery of the ages. God wants to know you. Incredible. Years ago, we had the Clark family come for the very first time and sang at our church. And back then, Travis was only a little guy. He sat at the piano and he, he sang that song, He Knows My Name. How I many of you know that song? 
He knows my name. I can't get it up my nose like he does, but it's a good southern song, but he knows my name. And the song talks about he counts the stars one and all. He, know much, how, he knows how much sand is on the shore. And yet in all of that, he knows my name. Incredible, incredible thought. Pastor Paul Chapel will testify. Pastor, Pastor Chapel pastors a church of seven or 8,000 people. Many of our students go to their college out in California. He said, what's he got to be discouraged about? He said in a very dark time of his ministry, he came across a little video on the internet, and it was Travis Clark saying, he knows my name. <laughs> got him on an airplane and flew him out there and put him on the piano and sang it in front of 5,000 people because he says, it encouraged my heart, and it turned me around in that time of despair just to know that God knows my name. You can know God, and God can know you. God desires to know you in such a way that he sent his only begotten son. You say, why, why does God want to know me? Here's why. Because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice our text this morning as we refer back to the parable in John chapter 10, verse 1. Verily, verily, I send you, he that entereth not by the door of the sheepfold but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name. And he leadeth them out. But why do they follow? Because they trust him. Because they know him. Because they hear his voice and they, something stirs in their heart. When was the last time your heart was stirred? Just simply at the knowledge that God loves you. And he wants to know you. And desires to have a relationship with you. And he wants it so desperately bad that he allowed his own son to die in your place and pay the price for your sins. Number one, just simply, God desires to know you. Number two, you can also know God. It's not a one-way street. There are those that believe that God set this world into motion and he just sits back and watches from afar. But that's not true. God wants to be intimately involved in our lives, but he also wants us to communicate with him. You heard that psalm this morning, and I don't know if you understood what it was saying, but when the, when the, when the ensemble was singing, they talked about the veil being torn in two. Veil rent in two. That was symbolic of God opening up the Holy of Holies, and now man could go boldly into the throne of grace, Hebrews chapter 4. And we can make our petitions made known unto God and we can search and seek for mercy but find grace to help in the time of need. God has opened up a, a way for us through Jesus Christ to come boldly to the Father. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. Notice, if you will, back in our scriptures in verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Not only does God know us, but he wants us to know him. But our sin, our sin broke that relationship. You'll remember Adam and Eve in the garden called Eden. And there they walked with God. The Bible says in the cool of the day. What a, what a picture. 
walking through a place called paradise, a place of perfection. And there God would speak to them, and they'd speak to God. But sin drove them from that place, took them out of that garden. And the relationship was never the same. A sacrifice was made that day. An animal was killed, its blood was shed, its skins were used to clothe their nakedness. But the symbol was put in place. And God said that one day the seed of a woman would bruise the serpent's head. A prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I I wonder sometimes as God was shedding the blood of that animal, if he wasn't by the Holy Spirit quoting that very verse, one day the seed of a woman will do this. A perfect sacrifice will come. One day, spotless blood will be shed. One day, a perfect lamb will hang upon a cross and pay the price for our sins. All so that we could be reconciled back to God. All so that he would know us and we could know him. Here's one of the saddest scriptures you'll read in the Bible. There will be many that one day will stand before God and they'll say, Haven't I prophesied in your name? Haven't I cast out demons in your name? Haven't I done many wonderful works? And the Lord Jesus Christ will say, I never knew you. What a shame that somebody wouldn't know God. I suppose, back in 1 Samuel chapter 3, if Samuel had stood before God, he would have said, I know all about the Jewish religion. I know a lot about God. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is all-powerful. I I know so much about God. I know the history of him and the Jewish people, and I know what he's done for Israel, and I, I know about the parting of the Red Sea, and I know about creation. I know all these things, and I know all the traditions, and I can carry out all the ceremonies right here. If if Eli gets sick, I could do it. But he never knew God personally. What a shame that nobody taught him that. What a shame. God wants to know you, and you can know God. And here's the important thing. To know him is to have life eternal. Notice what it says in verse 9. I am the door. By me, Jesus Christ speaking, If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I think think when I read that, I I, I think of this verse. Come unto me, all ye that labor laden, and I will give you rest. Pasture. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. Doesn't that bring peace, Psalm chapter 23? He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. He will go in and out and you'll find pasture. You'll find rest for his soul. And today, perhaps you're in that place where you're just in conflict and wondering, what's going to happen to my eternal soul? Well, without the Lord Jesus Christ, without knowing God, you're lost for eternity. That's not God's will. Because the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. 
That's not his desire. He never prepared hell for us at all. He prepared for the devil and his angels. But because we reject his son, Jesus Christ, we are lost and destined for a Christless eternity in a place called hell. But if you know him, you can have life eternal. You can be saved. The Bible says this in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh. It dwelt among us and we beheld him as the only God of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came to dwell with us. And here's what it says in sandwiched between those two verses in John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. He brings you into the family of God. You're now his child and you can have eternal life because you know him. John chapter 3, verse 16, we've already quoted, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him. You see a theme repeating itself throughout Scripture. It's all about Jesus. It's all about knowing him. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The price has already been paid to purchase you, to pay the price for your sins. You see, here's what the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every last one of us. And Romans 6 tells us the consequences for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Doesn't matter what you've done. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how. Listen, let me tell you what the song says. His mercy is more. But let me tell you even better than that what scripture says. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved a sinner like me. And he sent his son to die on a cross and shed his blood. The gift of God is eternal life, but only if I come through Jesus Christ because of what he did at Calvary. You say, how, how can we know? How can we know? The Bible says this very plainly. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It is, it is not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It's nothing we can brag about, nothing we can do. We are saved by his grace, a gift, something we do not deserve if we'll put our faith in him. And let me say this, it is a life-changing faith. It's not just coming up here and saying, well, I'm just going to pray some prayer. God, save me. No, no. It has to take place in your heart. It has to be a change that comes over. It's completely surrendering to the, the Lord's will. The Bible says we must repent and believe. And repentance means to stop trusting everything else you're trusting and trusting only in Jesus Christ. Put away all those works. The Bible says they're but filthy rags in the sight of God. 
And we must trust only in Jesus. Are you willing to do that today? There are many here today that I am confident likely know Jesus Christ. Here's the truth, the absolute truth. The only person who truly knows if you're saved is you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's it. I can be confident, and I'm glad I can get up at a funeral and say, I I believe that they know Jesus. I I believe that they trusted Christ. I've seen it in their lives, and we we know them by their fruit. and, and, And I can say with quite a lot of confidence, but I also know there's a lot of people that prophesy in his name, cast out demons in his name. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They don't have the Spirit of God. Only you know that. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with your heart if you're his child or not. And so, friend, let me ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Do you know him? You can say, well, you know, I, I prayed a prayer when I was a child and my mom told me I was saved. Your mom cannot bear witness. She cannot bear witness. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. The Bible is very plain. It says this. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You either have them or you don't. You either know Christ or you don't. You're either his child or you're not. You cannot answer the question today if I were to ask you, do you know Jesus? Are you saved? Are you on your way to heaven? The the answer cannot be I'm working on it. There's no transitional phase here. You either know him or you don't. You've either trusted him or you haven't. You're either saved or you're lost. And friend, we want to help you with that today. We want to show you what it means to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And you can know today, these things have I written unto them that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. You can know him today. Imagine that. You can know God. The God who created you and created this world, you can know him personally. But you must come through Jesus. Maybe there's one here today. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. And and let me say this. Whether they know your name or even know what's going on in your heart, there's Christians here today praying for you. Maybe not specifically your name, but they're praying that God would open up hearts today. Allow them to see their need of a Savior. Is there one say, Pastor, just between God and you and me, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand anywhere in this room? My prayer will not save you. It won't. But I want to ask God to help you to open your eyes a little bit further to show you what it means to have eternal life. I'm not going to force you into any decision. I just wanted, uh, with God's help, to the very best of our ability, to lay out what the gospel is. Now God has to save you. And that can only come by your personal faith. Nothing that I do, you must trust in him. 
Think about a God that loved you so much, he allowed his son to take your penalty and pay your price by dying a torturous death on a cross. That's the kind of God that loves you. Is there one, as I look around the room, would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise you. Is there one? Could I encourage you today, do not leave without knowing. Speak to somebody. We'll have a lady help a lady, a man help a man. We'll, we'll take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life. We'll, uh, maybe there's no doubt in my mind that I had a feeble attempt here this morning. All I can do is ask God to take it and use it. And perhaps you have some questions because I didn't answer them very well. But I want to tell you this, I am so glad that I know I'm saved and on my way to heaven. There's a burden that is lifted, a joy in my heart. Not only that, I know on a daily basis that God is taking care of all my needs. That he's comforting me when I need it. He's helping us through difficult times. It's not just putting my faith in Christ. It's about having that relationship with him day by day after day after day. To know God. We're going to sing a verse of this song, only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. If God has spoke to your heart, step out and come to this altar. Christians, you're praying. Others, if you need to be saved, come meet me right down here at this front. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. Let's sing.